Hi, it's Tim Clare here of Death of a Thousand Cuts Infamy. I went into London this week to record a few episodes with other authors. Um, it's a bit of an experiment, so please bear with me while we get to grips with how best to do it. The sound quality isn't ideal. I'm just going to give you that heads up straight away. So if you want, you can go and do something else. I'm going to give you that privilege. Um, apparently it's mainly to do with me peaking when I cackle, so our levels are radically different. But I hope you can still enjoy it and get something out of it. A copy of the extract we discussed is in the show notes on my website, timclairpoet.co.uk. Um, as you can hear, I'm not using my regular microphone. I still own that microphone. I'm just, I bought a new one to see if I could do two player versions of the show. And it turns out this mic sounds like absolute dog shit. So, um, all in all, a productive morning. Hope you enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to Death of a Thousand Cuts, making you an awesome writer one cut at a time. My name's Tim Clare, and each episode I'll be looking at a new first page by a novice author and discussing ways of making it stink less. I hate doing that intro. with it. I've made a discovery for the first time in my life that um, I put a glottal stop in 50% of my teas. And, and, and saying the phrase, one cut at a time, has only, uh, has only made that clearer to me. But I'm not here on my own today. I've got... Author, poet, and uh, putative king of the cyclists, Joe Dunthorn, with me. I don't know why I added that bit on the end. How are you, Joe? Sorry, I'm good. <laughs> already, already talked you up too much. Um, yeah, I'm well, thank you. Yeah, cool. Um, so, should we just get into it? Yeah, let's crack on. Right, do you, uh, if I read this first bit and then we can talk about it? This Great. has been, um, this is an extract sent to me uh, by Brittany. Thanks, Brittany, and it's untitled. It goes like this: My name is Lucy Lively, and I'm a zombie. I know, right? Lively was a great stroke of ironic luck, but Lucy is surprisingly appropriate. Lucy was the first human. I'm the first zombie. Patient zero. Public service announcement. If your sketchy-ass dealer ever says, here, try this shit I just invented, and they don't have a chemistry degree, scratch that. Even if they do have a chemistry degree, don't fucking try it. Aside from the actual dying part, every day of my death so far has been a party. Being a zombie is awesome. It's like being a supervillain, only I get to win at the end of the story because everyone else is dead. I do whatever I want, whenever I want, and it never bothers me that I mostly just want brains. Then Emily had to go and fuck it up. I had spent the last several hours staring at the paint peeling on the walls of a dilapidated tenement listening to bass nectar. I'd visited the place off and on for several weeks now. There was something about the rot and decay that spoke to me like the building was an echo of my crappy human life, or a metaphor for the death I now wrought, or, I don't know, some other real poetic shit. I digress. Emily was about to fuck shit up. There was a knock at the door, which was unusual. Zombies, as a rule, don't knock. Right. <laughs> should we just uh, should we just get into it? We can go yeah. line by line. Or Are we going to... Do I have to be as cruel as you, or, or, or can I be a foil? You can be. You can. You can be a, a complete poetic foil if you. You can. You can. You can make me look bad. I think I'm. Want. I think I'm going to make you look bad. I think I'm going to say it's actually as you, especially in the way I think you read it I'm, quite nicely. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> so, so, you've com complimented me already. <laughs> yeah, it was better in the in your reading than when I read it on the page. Um, I think it. I mean, it's got many things you'd want to change, but it's not. It's not terrible. Well, let's start with the first line then. My name is Lucy Lively and I'm a zombie. So I thought that wasn't... I'm going to... I'm, I'm sorry yeah. to not perhaps create yeah, the yeah. dynamic you were going for, but I think that's a, not a bad opener. There's like a clear tone. Yeah. There's a suggestion of genre. Like we, it's clear like what... Like if you put the word zombie in, right? You're, mm. you're staking, you're planting your flag pretty clearly. Mm. It introduces a protagonist. 
So we're not like we're not fannying about. We're like my name is right. We've got that already. There's a, a suggested problem, which is being a zombie, right? <laughs> And it closes with, and I know this is a perennial obsession of mine, but it closes with the most interesting word in the sentence, which is zombie is a nice little bit of a, uh, of like, a, a, well, not exactly a sucker punch, but a punchline, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. It closes with that. They're all great things. I mean, it's on the nose. Um, maybe it could have come at a more bleak, a bleak angle, could have been more nuanced, but they're stylistic choices, I reckon, more than right or wrongs. Hmm. So and he just dives right in, right? We've got... So that's the first line. Mm. So here's where I started to have a problem. I'd be so interested to know if you felt the same. So the second, second, next bit. I know, right? Lively was a great stroke of ironic luck, but Lucy is surprisingly appropriate. Lucy was the first human. I'm the first zombie. Yeah. How do you feel about that? No, I, I, I have a, I have strong problems. Um, but what's interesting, like I know, I know, right? Depending how you, how much confidence I guess you have in the the author after just a sentence i know right could be i know right i'm functioning in a really overused genre um i'm a zombie it's quite like that could be a realization that'd be quite funny right yeah um i'm not quite sure if that's what the i know right i think the i know right might mean i know right that's a bummer i'm i'm a zombie which is a less less interesting um thing okay because like Actually, I'd like to kind of jump off that for a second. Do you think, I think this is something that a lot of first-time authors or authors who are not yet published struggle with. Like this idea, I think you touched on it, and I think it's really interesting, which is the idea of having this cushion of good faith. Mm. With, you know, like the, the difference between being an author who's never been published, who's, I guess, sending a manuscript into an agent or something, and being an established author when someone approaches your first page. Do you know what I mean? Like mm. that is that feeling of of like if would it be different if we read this in uh say I'm trying to I'm trying to think of an author that we would kind of like trust to you know like basically does it make a difference if you read this in a published book of an established author where you get to that opening line and you go this person's mucking up kind of muck about with genre in an interesting way do we do you have longer and mm. do, are your choices restricted if you're a first time author mm, completely and I think you know that's people have proved that all the time with sending out manuscripts you know either they're famous and they send it out under a unknown name to prove the bias or there's that thing of like uh recently someone sent out a man a woman sent out a manuscript to like 20 publishers and got two replies and she sent it out again in a man's name and got whatever it was 12 replies that were all really like snappy and really and and, and the language of their reply was completely different and all these things that are really depressing um, super depressed <laughs> like that's the kind of thing that I, I start trying to make up excuses for it in my head rather than believe that the world is it's just like it feels crazy but like I know it's true so yeah um, yeah yeah. I think it is possible to imagine I think yeah it is possible to, to imagine up to I know right I'm, I'm still like yeah okay if it's got so when a, you... a blurb by a writer I love on the cover at that point I'm not I'm not put off. Okay, but like, so when you say up to I know, right, then it, does that mean that when we get to Lively was a great stroke of ironic luck, <laughs> but Lucy's surprisingly, I, I felt like there's like being on the nose mm. and then there's like Cobra punching straight through the nose <laughs> into the brain, right? And I, I felt like that was so, you know, it, it reminded me of the, and I, I 
Britain, I just want to say this is not this doesn't reflect on you. It was just it was just an unfortunate parallel, but it reminded me of the beginning of Morrissey's list of the lost mm. where he has uh it starts ezra nails harry justy you dig hard and deep to excavate four names quite so unusual where he, he immediately after introducing like you know what ezra nails harry and justy as the names of your four main characters those are cool names right but then morrissey can't resist stepping in and going mm. i don't know if you've noticed but those are rather uh special sounding names <laughs> um and and that's how i felt right I felt that it would. This had a, as soon as it goes into a great stroke of ironic luck, but Lucy is surprisingly appropriate. That was when I was like, it felt a bit Beano esque, self congratulately great dodge. Yeah, yeah. Readers, yeah. do you know yeah. what I mean? It's, it's like so. It's if you have to explain the reference to your readers, I feel like you punish both the people who got the reference and kind of shame the people who what didn't is, get the reference. What is the Lucy was the first human reference? Oh, so Lucy was the, um, I think it's the name given to the missing link bones of a kind of part ape, part human. Okay. Right? So like, and and that's the parallel that's being drawn. Um, and we know it's the parallel being drawn because um, the protagonist comes out and says it in the third sentence of the book rather than, I mean, I feel like... If that but was, you know, that's, that's a move. That's like, a it's a popular move, the I'm so-and-so deconstruct my name a bit you know like the opening of lolita or whatever yeah yeah you know it's like it can be done well so i don't think it, i think it's inherently a bad idea but i just think this delivery is not the one so i'd, I'd say like the lolita example the reasons i think that that <laughs> i mean like that's so that's i mean i think we you know totally fine to hold yourself to that high bar i don't think there's any reason why you shouldn't be trying to write as well as Nabokov. Don't, I mean, I know people will laugh at that, but there's no... It's just like it was just a guy, right? Like, we can all have a go. It's like, his second language, mate. Yeah, I think it was his third language, <laughs> it's his third I want language. to say. It's like, I know, it's completely bananas. But, like, is this idea... But but in that, that's a really good example because, one, the execution is amazing. If, you have, if you're going to do it, you have to pull it off. And two, I don't know, like, Humbert, Humbert isn't actually dissecting his own name. No. He's not going... He doesn't start off go, hi, I'm Humbert, Humbert. No pretty dumb name like who who, who gives he's it, it, not like neville it's like like neville neville um he's like the whole point is he is immediately deconstructing and perving over the object of his affection That's right like true. it's it's kind of creepily di- dissecting and he makes it all about these kind of la, the labial the, fricatives yep, yep. um like it's gross right but like the whole point and and elegant and kind of beautiful at the same time and there's something quite insidious about making the reader complicit in that deconstruction and i think you're right that basically a character probably couldn't do that about their own name or maybe it's possible but it's a much more difficult trick because there's no relationship i mean there is a relationship to yourself but you know instantly like you say you're getting the sense of humbert's treatment of lolita in a way that kind of self-satisfiedly making a joke about your own name just doesn't offer. I get kind of what's going on here, which is the, I think the attempt is to have, like, I mean, it's the classic thing with zombies, right? It's like, do you make your characters genre aware or not? Mm. Are they savvy of the, have they heard of the zombie genre? Or are you positing a parallel universe in which there's never been a cultural phenomenon such as zombies and the dead start rising and they're dealing with that? Because it's very difficult, right? Because either you choose, you either people do know what zombies are, and then something happens that parallels this joke 
cultural phenomenon? And then how do you do that without making it kind of like this Buffy-esque thing, which you can do. I mean, you can have fun with that. But like, can you do it seriously and still have a world where zombies existed? Or do you call them walkers and have no one ever go, this is really like this thing that's been going on for years that exists across world cultures. And I think what's uh, what we're having here is we're attempting to establish a narrator that's genre savvy. Right. They're going. I know. I know immediately that this comes freighted with a bunch of stuff. Uh, but I think we both agree that maybe uh, they're they're being a bit too. They're being a bit too clever for their own good. And I suppose what we haven't got here is the beginnings of a story. Mm. So they're just kind of like noodling on their own name. And we haven't we're not actually into it. Are you, I feel like that could come later. It yep. could even come in there. Um, cool. Should we move on to the next thing? So I'm just going to, I mean, it just kind of continues it, but public service announcement, if your sketchy-ass dealer ever says, here, try this shit I just invented, and they don't have a chemistry degree, scratch that. Even if they do have a chemistry degree, don't fucking try it. Useful information is uh, impassed in, <laughs> in the sentence. I just feel, I hate the language, I guess. You know, it just seems... I was speaking to this playwright the other day who said if you go to a like a cool hip new play at the Royal Court or um the young young vic or whatever the, he says you're guaranteed going to get the C bomb um <laughs> delivered with like r- r- real force just to show that it's a young person's play and they're like they're just gonna... to try and shock shock the young playwright's parents into noticing them. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> Sorry right. no that's unfair. But I know what you mean yeah. Uh, and and this sentence feels um freighted with that yeah, I felt there was something slightly off about the clip. They it's like sketchy ass. I know people do say that, but it just felt just a bit grab bag. Do you know what I mean? There was a lot in one sentence. And again, like, you know, what? there's two things that make it a bit uh, sad. So I think one, who's her audience for this? This is something that I get with a lot of first person uh, narratives. I know this is a subject close to your heart, having written, uh, and you know, a whole book in first person. And I believe your your new one is in first person, which is. Although we understand that it's it's a, um, from the most part, it's always going to be an abstraction. Like the narrator isn't literally, is probably not literally writing a, uh, a, a narrative to be read by someone in the fictional world. Mm-hmm. There still has to be like a nominal audience for this. Mm. And my question, one of the problems I have with this is immediately like who in this world doesn't know that there's been a zombie apocalypse that has to have the concepts explained to them. And and it's yeah, it is a nominal audience, but I'm still it still throws me out weirdly when mm. someone hasn't thought But is that is that the the traditional zombie creation myth? No, it's not. You that's I mean that that's that's true. And and I suppose that brings me on to my second point which I'm going to just jump immediately to rather than accepting that the previous one has kind of fallen apart. That is true of that particular sentence. I suppose the other problem is I don't. it's, t- it's just telling, not showing. Like, I, I don't really need a potted history of the world or the character at this stage because there's nothing... We haven't established a narrative present. Yep. And I know I hammer on about that and I'm so obsessed with this idea of, like, getting into the meat of the story. But And there's lots of stories. I love that start off in this storytelling mode. And it yeah, starts, but yeah. I just think here, I don't have any reason to care about that that yet yet do you know what i mean mm. i just uh, i just felt a bit like well i could i completely agree and there's a point later on where we do get into the present and it feels very uh yeah i mean so that's yeah so i mean let's let's move on do you want to uh so um aside from the actual dying part every day of my death so far has been a party being a zombie is awesome 
It's like being a supervillain, only I get to win at the end of the story because everyone else is dead. I do whatever I want, whenever I want, and it never bothers me that I mostly just want brains. Thoughts? <laughs> Again, I quite like the way you read that. I, it, it strikes me that basically this is just information that, we're, that we should be getting later on. It's not, I don't think, inherently bad information. But at this point, we're waiting to be um, in a place with people having a bit of narrative pull and this is kind of colouring that doesn't need to happen yet. I Yeah, and you know what? There's something just about the potted history of any any SF thing, but I imagine it would ha- it happens with literary fiction as well, where when you put it in summary, it just it just ups your awareness of its fictional status, right? You just read it and you're like going, yeah, hmm. yeah, I kind of... Ag- but I'm just very aware that this is made up because I'm not pulled into like a moment. Yeah. I'm just reading it splatted down. In the same way, I mean, I just think it's amazing that, I've, you know, as you, as I think I told you, I watched the Star Wars movies for the first time two months ago, having never seen them before. And you know what? Like, I'm amazed and wowed that the star wars title crawl works because it does like you but i mean it's a weird movie convention that doesn't appear in any other movie really because then but immediately but actually you don't need the star wars title crawl my argument is that as much as that is iconic Mm. you could just leave it and also no one actually takes in have you tried taking in the information as it's happening you're there getting the mood like oh my god it's the star wars thing at the beginning and then like watching the new ones you cannot concentrate on it. It's not information yeah, that goes in yeah, at all. And, then, and you get all that from, and immediately get thrown into a scene, someone running away or a big ship appearing or whatever. And you're like, right, I'm into this. What's going on? And you find out and you deduce it from the world. And so as much as they cannot leave it now, because mm. it is, it would be up- uproar. It's just a bit of the film where people can cheer and like, you yeah, know, throw yeah. bits of popcorn and things. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. But it, it does, it's not necessary. I think it's, uh, I, I, I think it's, I think it's something that is, is a, like a nice, kind of wink to the audience but it's not and i think this is a similar thing so you say nothing's happening so we get to then emily had to go fuck it up yeah again i'm I'm offended by the swears but <laughs> uh yeah fine to me yeah i mean on the swearing thing i felt that they grated a little bit and i'm not against people swearing but it felt a little bit like it was trying too hard yeah very that, much so, that, yeah. yeah i think it, it's weird though isn't it because you probably one probably would swear at approximately this rate yeah. in real life, but on the page, it's just somehow so much more showy or so much more. I suppose, I suppose it's the the rate of swearing to actual content as well. We haven't mm. actually got into a scene at the moment. Do you know mm. what I mean? And uh, and also it's the same formation: fuck it up, and then later on, fuck shit up. Mm, yeah, and fucking try it. It just seems all a bit of a. It's not inventive usage. So um, I, I'd spent the last several hours staring at the paint peeling on the walls of a dilapidated tenement listening to bass nectar. You, you're giving me a smile there. Right? <laughs> I've written, I'm intrigued. Yeah, that is exactly how I felt. I was like, bass nectar. Bass nectar. Oh, <laughs> I know, like unexplained proper noun. Exactly. I'm so into it. Yeah, I'm, I'm really into it. Yeah, uh, it was I, like, that is the... Qu- and it's not two words for those who can't and, see it and you you can mess those up in sf right you can go i, I switched on the vid screen and you're just like <laughs> no you didn't shut up but bass nectar sounds i totally accepted that as whatever it is yep i accept the uh, what, 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 i can't remember what they uh, from my uh, english language a level is it called anaphoric references when you or cataphoric references one of those two where you reference something at the beginning of the story like a, a pronoun you just like go 
he ran in and you're like, who's he? And then, but you come to it later. I, I really like it. I really like that. And it's lovely. Yeah. I'm glad yeah. that you've, and, but clearly what's also happening is we're now locating something in a, we get a location and a time. Yep. We'd spent the last several hours and we get, you know, paint peeling on the walls of a dilapidated tenement. It's a, you know, it's kind of tickling. It's kind of tickling the belly of cliche. But oh yeah, it's no, not. it's definitely a dilapidated tenement is tickling, and paint peeling on the walls is yeah. smooching. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's full mouth kiss. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, but I, I like that line. I don't I don't mind at all. Um, I visited the place off and on for several weeks now. It's a bit mealy mouthed kind of mm. general time. But now there was something about the rot and decay there that spoke to me. Nice, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I was totally on board with that. Like the building was an echo of my crappy human life or a metaphor for the death I now wrought, or I don't know, some other real poetic shit. <laughs> what, what, what do we think about that? Yeah, it's it's just it's just a bit of a sad sentence, isn't it? It's like... It, it, it you gets, can feel it, the it commitment. Get, it, gets steadily, it gets steadily worse and then throws it, completely throws it away at the end, which is so sad. It's the it's the, I, I, we've, like, we've both done that with sentences, yeah, right? yeah, where you sure. panic and just go... I just need the reader to know I'm not committed. <laughs> Sometimes you think, well, I think in the moment you think that can be a really cool move, like, or whatever. Yeah. Because that wasn't very good. But um, yeah, when you come back, you got to got to cut it. Yeah. And that's a classic thing of, of, of first draft syndrome versus second draft where you just, I've often put in, you know, actually one of the best pieces of advice you gave me was um, about trying as a general rule of thumb trying to stick to one simile or metaphor per page it's just like a nice not an absolute but as a nice base rate and I, I think what it makes has made me do when I'm writing is those sentences where you go it was like a, it was like his hat was like a, a an inverted bassoon or perhaps <laughs> a tornado whipping his hair up into a, an ice cream and you're just like and you feel at the time like yeah I'm really styling and you come back and because there's so many different conceits pulling in different directions it actually obscures the thing you were trying to yeah illuminate. whichever is the best metaphor gets m m drawn down with the with the worst one and yeah. yeah um and and so i think yeah that there, there's that um i digress emily was about to fuck shit up there was a knock at the door which was unusual zombies as a rule don't knock strong yeah very strong yeah i was intrigued yeah cool so i think overall we kind of think there's there's a you know every bit of voice do you there's a thing about writing a first-person narrative, I think, well, actually with all novels, where there's a certain amount of writing one's way into the character, right? Mm. Uh, and I, I feel like that's maybe what's going on here. Yep. Like, you just drop a few bits of background knowledge. And, yeah, completely. You know, I, don't, I don't think it's it's monumentally flawed. It's got, it's got a voice, and it gets to its story, you know, only with a couple of paragraphs of digression. Um, and I think the zombies as a rule don't knock is some sort of... I know it's brilliant. I'm I'm totally into that. Yeah. So when we get there, I'm yeah. Especially as like I'm now got anticipation. Yeah. Right. Which is yeah. So, so overall, like we we yeah we quite like it and uh, hope that's been helpful, uh, Brittany. So um, if any of you want to uh, submit your work, you can go onto my website www.timclairepoet.co.uk. There's a little contact me link on the right, and you can click in the show notes to see our submission guidelines. Would love to have some of your work. Please uh, share the podcast and spread the word with other writers you know if it's helpful to you. And uh, until next time, uh, keep writing, please.